I'm Dr. Sarah Hales-Britton. I'm Sam Siegel. And our third co-host, Luke Patrick, is not going to be recording with us this, this season, but he is still behind the scenes. And uh, we welcome you to Grease Lightning, a podcast where we talk about myth and history and movies and see what we can learn. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sarah. Uh, you, I, I, I'm just going to kind of jump into it. You picked an interesting one uh, yeah. for this week, this, this time. And I am, I am dying to know, uh, how, I mean, I, I think I know how this relates. Um, and so I'm, I'm dying to talk about this. I'm also scared of what the story is because the movie hints at it and it's, shall I say, nasty. It is indeed nasty. Um, and this is the place, I guess, where we should um, go ahead and issue a content warning that this mm-hmm. entire myth is kidnapping, rape, and Stockholm Syndrome. So if you are not up for that, please go ahead and skip. Yeah. And we if will you, see you next time. If you don't want that fun little trifecta, yeah, um, probably best to dip out. Because... Yeah. It's not, I don't, from what I watched last night, it's not getting any better than that statement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so I guess, Sam, based on that, you mm-hmm. did not know, before before yesterday, you did uh-huh. not know about the Sabine women. Is that no. right? Okay. And, and I've been incredibly confused about the pronunciation uh, before, <laughs> during, and after this movie, because I don't know. Before, I thought it was Sabine's, okay, uh, because I I saw it in in our shared doc, uh, and then I uh, watched the movie, and I was like, they keep saying Sabins, and that feels wrong. Yeah, but they keep saying it. They're real dedicated to saying Sabin. They are um, very dedicated to Sabin. Yeah. Yes, and then afterward, I was like. I don't trust a movie that came out the same year as Brown v. Board of Education. Um, I think they're probably wrong, but I'm also an idiot, so I'm also probably wrong. So what is it? <laughs> uh, it is generally pronounced Sabine. Um, Sabine. Yeah. Okay. I think, so the, the Sabin pronunciation is sort of a joke throughout Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, partly because... Mm-hmm. Um, there is an intermediary between the Latin, the, the Roman legend, and this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, technically, the movie, the mu- movie musical, is based on a short story called "The Sobbin Women." S O B B I N apostrophe. Gotta have the apostrophe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so that's why they have the weird pronunciation. <laughs> I gotcha. That makes a little more sense. Yeah. Um, so what is your relationship to the the story about the, the Sabine women? I first encountered this story in uh, junior year of college. It was my third semester of Latin. And so this is where we graduated from reading stuff like baby Latin from the textbook and into mm-hmm. real Latin. And so that semester we read book one of Livy. 
Um, and I mean, read it very slowly, uh, and only, mm-hmm. only chunks in Latin with lots of help because only third semester. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, Livy, as we know, tells the story of Rome from its earliest legendary founding days all the way mm-hmm. down to his own time. Um, and this story is very early on in that text. So that's where I first encountered it. And then I've, um, I've sort of had to had to deal with it again periodically throughout my life as a classicist. Um, Mm -hmm. And I first encountered the Seven Brides for Seven Brothers version in graduate school. I had never heard of this movie and my department used to have movie nights occasionally. And Mm -hmm. somebody suggested that we watch this movie one week since it was sort of classically themed. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was the first, um, that was the first time I saw this movie was like seven years ago, probably. Um, Mm -hmm. And the second time was yesterday. (laughs) Okay. I imagine there's a reason for that. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's yeah. We'll, we'll get into the, the (laughs) feelings about the movie later, but yeah, a lot of feelings there. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but in terms of the, the legend, we are basically picking up right where we left off from Livy last time. We talked about the, um, the birth of Romulus and Remus and the founding of Rome. Romulus kills mm-hmm. his brother Remus, right? And uh, he opens up the territory that he has um, established as Rome to anybody who wants to come live in his city um sort Mm of um it gets described as he's offering asylum so uh like runaway slaves can come and live free in rome poor people who just like need a new start can come and live in rome so it's sort of a it it's it's a sort of a give me your your tired your poor huddled masses thing um Mm -hmm. and uh that, so we're picking right back up in Livy with that. Um, this story, though, is also told in Plutarch, in his life of Romulus. Uh, okay. And then there's a couple of other historians who tell it also. But Plutarch and Livy are the, are the big ones. Um, so we have flung open the gates of Rome. Lots and lots of people have come to the new city to settle it. Um and everything is going well, but then, as Livy so aptly puts it, their greatness is only going to last one generation if they don't find some women and start making babies real soon. Because right now, it's all men in this city. A real sausage party. Truly. Truly. Mm-hmm. So Romulus <laughs> sends some diplomatic envoys out to other neighboring tribes and cities and says, hey, let's be allies. And also, we would love the right to intermarriage between our cities. Mm, Okay. And sure, we had some divine help in getting started, but, you know, we're very self-reliant people. We're brave. You shouldn't have any concern about mixing your bloodlines with ours. Um, And this always makes me think of the Blues Brothers. How much for your women? Um, Which is basically (laughs) what they're doing here. Um, And the other kings uh, basically say, LOL, no. Um, if <laughs> asylum worked out so well for you, why don't you offer asylum to women too? Cause you're sure as hell not getting ours. Uh, mm-hmm. and partly this is contempt 
for the fact that they know it's a bunch of like lowborn people who have settled Rome. And mm-hmm. Livy says he thinks there is also some genuine alarm on the part of the neighbors at how quickly Rome was growing and gaining numbers and power. So they're just a little freaked out by Rome. And they're like, we would rather not. Um, but the so, m- sorry. Go ahead. Were they were they not offering asylum to women? I don't think so. I think it was just men. I mean, women were pretty uh, tightly controlled by their families oh, okay. in antiquity. Um, so I was going to say a bit of a cell phone. Mm-hmm. To to be like, hey, dudes, just come on in. No women though, and it's like, wait a wait a second. <laughs> we need those. Yeah, definitely. Although it does sound like, for a little bit, it was kind of the first incel city. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit. Um, and it, sorry, my dog is yelling right outside my closet door. Um, That's fine. But yeah, that that is kind of how it was. Um, mm-hmm. And it sort of, it sort of continues from there. Because... Uh, because when, when the other tribes refuse intermarriage, the Romans find it com- impossible to let the insults just roll off their back and, like, mm-hmm. like try something else. Uh, and it starts to look like, to them, like, the only way they're going to get wives is by force. So that's what they decide cool. to do. Yeah. So in order to do this... Romulus presents an attitude of like, hey, no hard feelings to all the neighboring tribes. Uh, We're organizing a a big religious festival to equestrian Neptune. All the Romans have pooled their resources to make this festival a huge production. It's going to be great. Expectations are high. Mm -hmm. And despite their distaste for any sort of diplomatic relations or intermarriage, the neighbors are very curious to see Rome. Curiosity gets the better of them. A bunch of neighboring peoples show up, including most of the tribe of the Sabines. And the Sabines' fatal mistake, of course, is that they bring all their families with them. Wives, uh-huh. daughters, everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Romans welcome in the visitors. They're very hospitable. Everything is going well. It's time for the games. And while everybody is focused on the games, the Roman youths have positioned themselves strategically within and like on the edges of the crowd. And when Romulus gives the signal, all these youths dash in and they grab the unmarried girls and literally carry them off. So this is part of why it's called the rape of the Sabine women, because the Latin Mm -hmm. verb rapere which is where our word rape comes from, it literally means, like, to seize and to carry off. Mm, okay. So the girls are kidnapped. It's mostly opportunistic, you know? You just grab the girl closest to you and, and you run. Mm-hmm. Um, in Plutarch's version of this story, he says the, the rape of the Sabine women is why the tradition developed that the bride gets carried across the threshold of the new house. Instead of cool. just walking in on her own. Love it. So, yeah. To- totally not creepy at all. Not creepy at all. Um, the worst part, though, is that instead of trying to fight back, uh, and I mean, it does make some sense, to be fair. They are in the middle of Rome. They're surrounded by enemies. But the mm-hmm. Sabine's parents and their relatives just flee. 
and leave the girls behind. Um, these poor girls are obviously very scared, very depressed, deeply offended, right? This is a mm-hmm. culture where if you are an unmarried girl or woman, your perceived virginity is like literally all you have in terms of mm-hmm. social clout. Um, and that's just been trampled on completely. Uh, Romulus quote unquote helps <laughs> by going around each house, talking to each girl individually. Um, if I were one of these girls, this would just make me very angry. Um, but mm-hmm. eventually, allegedly it works on them. Um, it's a different time. <laughs> he basically says, <laughs> don't be mad at me and the Romans. You should be mad at your parents for refusing to let us marry you properly. Like we asked for proper above board intermarriage and they said, no, they forced our hand here. So like, you should really be blaming your parents. And besides that, like now that we've got you here, you're not just going to live here in dishonor. Like everybody's getting married. Like we got the priest, everybody's getting married properly and honorably, this is all going to be above board. And by the way, you're going to have the best, most accommodating husbands in the world because they're going to spend the rest of their lives making up for the fact that you've lost your birth family and your homeland. And like, they are your family. These guys are your family now. Basically, you get a lifetime of makeup sex out of these Roman youths is how he's spinning this. Bullshit. Yeah. There's what what a weak ass argument. Yeah. And Jesus Christ, especially coming from a guy who who murked his brother. I know. It, it's it comes off a little like no. No, sir. I don't think that's mm. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And just as the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. Uh so Romulus gives this speech to all the girls and then their their new sort of forest husbands mm-hmm. add to it um, by pleading that they did they did this because of the irresistible force of their passion. So basically, you're oh, so hot off. we couldn't help ourselves. Ugh. Yeah. It's it's worse knowing that that, like, argument has persisted for thousands of years. Totally. Totally. Ugh. Oh, God. Yeah. I and mean, the- I'm shocked that Romulus didn't show up and say, like, you know, boys will be boys. Yeah. Seriously. It was, he was, he was, like, one step away from mm-hmm. that argument. Woof, man. Woof. Yeah. But because this is the uh, 7th, 8th century BCE, this argument works. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> to be fair, it worked up till the 20th century, too. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, this is only, you know, pro pre-first wave feminism. So <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> right. So... So, yeah, it does. Eventually, it does work. Like, the girls sort of, partly thanks to Stockholm Syndrome, the Sabine <laughs> girls, they are now Roman wise wives. They are more or less appeased. Um, they've mm-hmm. sort of managed to uh, accept and be content with their situation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And their parents, meanwhile, are going around in mourning clothes, trying to stir up the rest of the Sabine population to uh, take action against Rome. But they're not Mm. being very quick about it. They're really delaying uh, military action to go get the girls and bring them home. Um, And as a result of all of this dilly-dallying on the part of their own people, it it takes long enough that some of the girls actually have time to have babies with their new Roman uh, husbands before Mm -hmm. their parents show up. So, like, takes them a long fucking time. To yeah, get their it, butts in gear. Is there any indication of why they sort of drag their feet on it? It's. I think it's. It's partly because uh, the Sabines were um, sort of spread out over many, many towns, and it was like one king over all of them. And so it's partly the fact that like the people who were farther away didn't come, and so their daughters are fine. Um, mm. And it's it's the ones who had daughter had unmarried daughters, which wasn't all of them, um, mm-hmm. who are like sort of being the rabble rousers in town. There are a couple of little towns uh, who decide that the others are moving too slowly and they're just going to go ahead and attack. And of course, Rome crushes them instantly. Um, so it's it's partly a practical thing of like they they need to actually have time to mount enough force to make a difference but mm-hmm. it's also i don't think we really get um an acceptable re- reason for why it takes quite as long gotcha. as it does um because yeah it it has to be close to a year by the time mm-hmm. they are coming back so the poor girls are just sort of forced to make the best of things mm-hmm. um so Eventually, um, we do have the the big group of Sabines uh, who are ready to come attack Rome and get their daughters back. Um, they've sort of learned from the mistakes of the smaller towns that attacked first, and they managed to hide their intentions and mount a surprise attack against Rome. Mm. Um, they do this by bribing the daughter of the Roman citadel commander. So his name is Tarpeia, so she's Tarpeia. There's a place in Rome called the Tarpeian Rock, and it's named mm-hmm. for her. Um, okay. She goes outside the city wall to draw some water. And the Sabine king, Tatius, bribes her to let them into the citadel. Um, and alleged, there's, a, there's a version of this story where the Sabines wore these like gold bracelets on the same arm where they carried their shields. And in order to let them in, she's like, I'll let you in, but I want what's on your arm. And Mm. instead of giving her the bracelets, they give her the shields. They crush her to death on their way in. Lovely. So that's nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's there's versions of this where Livy says it's because they didn't want people to know that they bribed their way in instead of using force because it's force is mm-hmm. more manly. Um, and then there's another version where he says uh, it's actually uh, supposed to be a lesson, uh, like an example to everyone that you shouldn't uh, work with traitors because she betrayed her father and her people. Gotcha. So boy, they, they loved women, didn't they? So much, so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, the Sabines now have control of the Citadel of Rome. 
they have the high ground. The Romans themselves are having to mount an attack from the valley between the hills of Rome. Mm -hmm. Things are not going well for them. Romulus makes a big speech invoking the aid of Jupiter. The Romans rally. The Sabines are being sort of dragged down the hill and into the valley. Things are starting to turn in Rome's favor. And at this moment, the kidnapped Sabine women, who are now Roman wives and mothers, run out onto the battlefield, into the middle of the fighting, and stand Mm -hmm. between the armies. And they start begging, you know, whoever they're closest to, to stop fighting because they're going to bring blood curses on themselves because they've been married to these Roman guys now, right? So they -hmm. are now fathers-in-law and sons-in-law. And she's there the girls are like look we can't have this happening to our families um as the icing on the cake they offer themselves up as the ones who are to blame they're like if you want to be mad at anybody be mad at us because we're the ones you're fighting over and if you go on fighting we're going to lose somebody either way either we're going to lose our fathers and our brothers or we're going to lose our husbands and the fathers of our children so if you're going to kill somebody why don't you just kill us because it's better for us to die than to end up as widows and orphans. Jeez. And yeah. And amazingly, this speech shames both sides into peace. And okay. Livy says there was this like sudden silence on the battlefield. And then the generals step forward from each side to arrange terms. Um, and they actually take it so far as to merge the two states into one. Um, so oh. King Tatius of the Sabines and Romulus share power they're co-monarchs um and the the seat of government for for both tribes is rome and they just become one big happy family um literally and figuratively Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) and uh then there's another like uh story here where romulus is so grateful to the women for making this peace happen Mm-hmm. That when he divides the city up into wards, which are called curiae, um, he chooses 30 of the women to name the curiae after. Um, not all the names of the original 30 have come down to us now, mm-hmm. but we do know some of them. And at least some of them are, in fact, women's names. Uh, oh. So Livy says, you know, I'm sure there were more than 30 girls taken. <laughs> and I don't know what mm-hmm. his criteria were for choosing who the 30 were. <laughs> Um, which right. is just like, Livy is so charming and meticulous. And I love that in the middle of all this story, that's what he's concerned about. Um, mm-hmm. But Plutarch says that, you know, he, he heard a version of the story where it really was only 30 girls who were taken. So all mm-hmm. 30 of them get a Korea named after them. Um, but in any case, um, that's the story of the rape of the Sabine women. Um, okay. So... so- uh and this is a stupid question is it is it like a legend is it true like where are we on the the truthometer we are sort of in the middle um it's definitely it is a legend to the romans Mm -hmm. this was this was their history gotcha and it is true that as rome grew like there's um besides these these texts that sort of merge history and legend there is some archaeological evidence for like the way that rome sort of grew and um 
expanded its influence over central Italian territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's sort of hard to know. It's possible that there is a grain of truth in this. Um, gotcha. But we, we today put this firmly on the legend side of things. Um, gotcha. There's no actual divine intervention here. Right. Um, so it's not mm-hmm. it's not really fully a myth, but um, we're also not really sure how true <laughs> this is. Gotcha. Um, OK. Yeah. But this does uh, get us to an interesting point um, mm-hmm. that I wanted to bring up about these Roman founding myths in general. And uh, there is like a there's a there's a tiny glimmer of hope that we can pull out of all of this. Um, okay. Yeah. So, please. so it's, I mean, there's more dark first than happy. Um, the, sure. <laughs> so the dark is, uh, we have, uh, in the founding myths of founding myths and legends of Rome, we have three major rape narratives and we've mm-hmm. now talked about two of them. Rhea Silvia, okay. the mother of Romulus and Remus is, mm-hmm. uh, raped and then imprisoned. And we never hear from her again. Mm-hmm. Um, the one we're probably, I don't think we're ever going to end up talking about her on this podcast, but the the, the third one is uh, a woman named Lucretia, who is raped and then commits suicide because of it. And as a result, her husband and brother end up um, ending the monarchy and establishing the Republic in Rome. Okay. And then in the middle, we have this one, the Sabine women, who are raped and then draw on all of their internal and communal resources to survive. So of the three Mm -hmm. rape narratives in the founding myths, all of them, it's interesting that like all of them have these sort of key pivotal moments in Roman history, like Mm -hmm. major developments are spurred by rape and how people deal with it. Um, And this is the only one where we actually get to see women sort of surviving and Mm -hmm. carving out a new path for themselves after this has happened. Um, The Sabine women don't necessarily adjust healthily. You know, I don't want to suggest that Stockholm syndrome is a good thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, But in a world where literally everything has been taken away from them, Mm -hmm. they manage, they find a way to create a new identity for themselves they find a way to sort of come to terms with what's happened to them mm-hmm. and move forward and then stand up to the men in their lives who the ones who did this to them and the ones who allowed it to happen and to go on mm-hmm. for so long right they reclaim some agency and they reclaim some of the social respectability that the rape took away from them um right. you know chastity is the number one virtue of a roman woman all throughout Roman history, all the way down through the empire. We see this on um, funerary monuments, in literature. Chastity is number one. And these women are reconstructing chastity for themselves after it's been sort of taken away from them. So uh, it says a lot about the Romans, first of all, that so Mm -hmm. much of their founding activity is sort of spurred by violence against women. But mm-hmm. um, I think we would we would lose an important part of this particular story 
if we only look at the sort of dark and twisted parts of the the psychological manipulation and the the physical violence and not the way that the women sort of find a way to move forward with the tools they have um yeah so no i i like that reading of it i i think that it it helps make it a lot less miserable it's 100 percent miserable if you don't have a way out of Mm -hmm. the the actual like the rape itself you know yeah and i think it also gives like some context for like just historically like how women carve out stuff in in societies that uh hate them yeah and so like there's a lot to that of like no like because i think there's a lot of you know like oh it's and it's generally true that like History has always been terrible to women. And yeah, mostly. But I think, kind of to your point, it ignores these times when, like, women did carve out, like, kind of more power for themselves and, like, assert themselves in a way that is still, like, not great, but is uh, definitely an accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. I like that. I like that. We didn't yeah. get to Grim Place first, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, speaking of putting a shine on Grim things, mm-hmm. should we talk about this movie? <laughs> I guess so. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear your impression of this. Yuck. <laughs> Fuck, so this was, so it's not a terribly long movie. It felt it. Mm. It felt long. Um, Maybe it's because I kind of started it kind of late or whatever, but Jesus Christ. Man, this, uh, the entire plot of this movie has aged like cottage cheese. It's so bad. It's true. Um. And, like, all the characters are pretty imminently hateable. (laughs) Uh, Like, I think within ten minutes, I wrote down, um, I hope this guy dies alone. (laughs) Um, About Adam, sort of our our primary character. Yeah. (laughs) Because he sucks. He's a real piece of shit. And he never gets better. Like, there, there is no redemption to this man. He sucks so much shit. He he wanders into town with uh, ten pounds of fur and uh, gives elevator eyes to ev- every woman unfortunate enough to hove into his field of vision. And then he's like, you're my wife now. And it's like, dude, fuck off and die, please. Please <laughs> drop dead. It is powerfully gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I hate all his brothers. <laughs> um, I get real Deliverance vibes. It feels like, um, 
their parents were related. (laughs) (laughs) I I struggle to to describe it any other way, but they just give off this vibe of like, their parents were related. This is sort of a a royal family level of incest. Um, Yeah. So, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. How is it for you? <laughs> okay, so this is a movie that I struggle with because mm-hmm. yes to everything you just said. I would be worried if you didn't struggle with it. But also, I fucking love old musicals, like mid-century musicals. Uh-huh. So there's there's huge chunks of this movie where like if I can forget about the plot, it's mm-hmm. delightful. The the random bursting into song, the enormously long, like five minute long dance break, and then at the barn raising, there uh, it's like half the movie. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Just that that one bit. Yeah, so there's like there's big chunks of this movie that I really mm-hmm. enjoy, and then and then they talk in between those chunks. Then they talk. Like, oh no, you guys all suck. You suck big time. It's so it's two things. It's then they talk and then also you start listening to the lyrics too closely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's, a, it's it's really it's awful because the Sob and Women song is so catchy. Yeah. And there's a it lot is, of things about the sort of like the uh environment of the mid-century Hollywood musical singing this mm-hmm. song in the barn together that's very charming. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then there's the line about they acted angry and annoyed, but secretly they were overjoyed. And I just yeah. wanted to throw something at the TV. Yeah, it's um, if you're ever unsure of what the rape myth is, it's this movie. It's yeah. just th- this movie is like the dictionary definition of the rape myth. Yeah. Um, because it is a bunch of women who are kidnapped uh, and are very angry about it. And then their inbred soon-to-be husbands um, <laughs> all make real token efforts to try to be nice to them and do essentially nothing. And then the women are like, turns out I actually love them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they've got that beautiful Habsburg jaw. And that's... <laughs> That's what we want in 1856 Oregon. Yeah, exactly. The sad thing is, I don't know how inaccurate this is for 1850s Oregon. Like, there is that bit at the beginning where Millie is like, why are you mad about me marrying this guy? You've been telling me for years that I have mm-hmm. to get married and make make white babies to populate this land. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the really I- scary part. It does feel like some some real accuracy because at one point, I think it was during the barn raising, um, I had pointed out that, um, so the the choreography is good and like the, the dancing and stuff is good. It is also aggressively white. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's fucking mayo on white bread, white. Uh, yeah. And I was commenting on this, and then my wife goes, where are all the black people? And I said, 
well, <laughs> this is this is 1954. Yeah, they're not. The other part is, if memory serves, I think Oregon was settled as like a let's not have black people here. It yes yes. This is uh, the Pacific Northwest. I think Washington is like this too. A lot of the Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest was settled as let's just be white people. It's it's the yeah. white flight of the continent. Yes. <laughs> and so, in that sense, the movie is pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I'll say like the, the dancing while weirdly stomp heavy. I noticed this too. It was, it was distractingly stompy. Yeah. To me. Yeah. The sound mixing was not well done there. (laughs) Oh Christ, no. (laughs) But it was, you know. Like, that part was, was entertaining, but good lord, ev- everything in between. Um, well, oh, shit, what did I... I think I told... I told my wife at one point that everything that was happening on screen was making me angry and unnerved. <laughs> and, like, I couldn't put, like, a finger on why. I was just, like, mad and anxious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the only, the only thing I think besides the, like, the moments of singing and dancing that I enjoy Mm -hmm. about this, though, was, um, when the, the snow finally melts, we're having our spring thaw after, Mm -hmm. you know, months after the girls were, were kidnapped and taken up to the farm. And they Mm -hmm. are, like, frolicking around the farm with the brothers, uh, talk, singing about spring and there's mm-hmm. like lots of baby animals involved. That was the only yes. part where I was like, that would work on me. Like, if you, I, we kidnapped you, but here's a baby goat. Unfortunately, yeah, you know, I know myself, and that would work on me. Yeah, to be honest, uh, you give me a kitten, I'll I'll do anything. <laughs> you, you've gotten yeah. me. Um, it yeah. is effective. <laughs> And it's yeah. like, yeah, real, you know, I kidnapped you. You're my wife now. My parents were siblings. Here's a <laughs> lamb, though. Yeah. It like, goes a well, long way. It softens a lot. Yeah, it, it really, really does. does. It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you all have that weird jaw. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, uh. And you don't know how to clean anything, but this is a lamb. It's very cute, and I do get to hold it. Yeah. So, um, I, I did, uh, I did have some questions. Yeah. Um. So, at what point, it, Millie? Is it the? Yeah, yeah, Millie's the first one. At what point did she get pregnant? And how long is any of this taking? Because it's okay. like one season and it's like, uh, she gave birth and it's like, no, that's three months. Yeah, that's the mystery to me because they, they sort of, they make it seem like winter up in the mountains is about six months, which like having lived in the Midwest, that's not totally inaccurate. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think by the time Millie gives birth, birth Mm -hmm. she's been married for about a year Mm, um i think it's i think it's like 
three to six months between Millie coming up to the farm and the kidnapping. And then the kidnapping happens like at the beginning of winter. And then it's like all the way into like late spring by the time the pass clears. Okay. Cause that's I, the I only was... way I can make sense of it. But she doesn't look pregnant ever. No, at no point. And I was like, that's an, that's an underbaked baby. Yeah. Well, um, this is the other thing. Like, either baby's super underbaked or men are just dumb or both. Like, at the end of the movie, when the preacher mm-hmm. hears the baby and he thinks it's one of the, it must belong to one of the kidnapped girls, they've only been up there for six months. Yeah, I don't so think So if it they... is one of theirs, it's a town boy father. Like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so weird uh, yeah. that... That the townsfolk genuinely believe that all these sick inbred brothers uh, cucked them in six months. Yeah. Yeah. Like, nah, man. Nah. And like, they they don't even look like they were recently pregnant. Like, come, come on, folks. Yeah. This ain't hard. They're, they're just, I mean... Through most of history, men pay attention to women. Men think of women as people when it's convenient, right? Oh, sure. And it's usually not. So it, it really does sort of feel like this is the first time these fathers have actually really looked at their daughters. Mm-hmm. Like when they've been ki- they've been kidnapped six months ago and we're trying to make sure they're okay and have they been pregnant recently. It's like they... Mm-hmm. But they don't have anything to compare it to because they never no. paid attention before. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just like, yeah, I I guess Dorcas looks like she could have been pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I've never really looked at Dorcas before. That's yeah. why I named her Dorcas. <laughs> um, but sure, why the fuck not? Yeah. It's been six months. I think that's how long it takes to bake a baby. Just. Right? clueless mm-hmm. totally clueless i do love though that the girls take advantage of this like this is this is one difference for me between the movie and the myth that i really really like because in the mm-hmm. myth social you know quote unquote virtue is compromised right mm-hmm. and then the way the women sort of move forward is telling their fathers and when their fathers and brothers come, they say, look, we've made our peace with this. So you need to do the same. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, on the other hand, virtue is not compromised, right? Millie will not allow the brothers in the house when the girls are there. Right. No one's virtue has been compromised, but no. every one of those girls is willing to pretend like they're willing to accept the social consequences of people thinking they've had a baby out of wedlock in order to get the husband they want and to get their fathers yes. and brothers to do what they want. And I kind of love that for them. It is <laughs> like, pretty good. As uh, fucked up as it is. And, it's great. Oh, deeply, deeply. <laughs> and it's also impressive that they managed to sell it when I I would say uh, the setting and the brothers are all deeply non-sexual. Yeah. Deeply unsexy. Yeah. Um, like, that looks like a house where no one can come. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> <laughs> it's filthy. 
It is wretched. I, also, I it would, seems to be only one bedroom. <laughs> what, like one bedroom? And no bathroom? I, it's yeah. unclear how this house is laid out. Um, but I can tell you, bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to drop dead in this house. It's... So, again, it speaks to how stupid the fathers and brothers are that they're like, yeah, I guess someone could have fucked in here. It's yeah. like, not a, not a chance. Yeah. Not a chance. Um, so, uh, another question I had for you is kind of earlier in the movie, um, Millie says that she, um, like, is in love with Adam. Basically, like, before 12 hours is up. Yeah. And and uh, basically says, like, she, she loved him the minute she saw him. And so I want to know, do you believe in love at first sight? No. I can't, I can't, I can't get there. I, yeah. be- I believe in lust at first sight, not love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think... Uh, are frequently confused, especially mm-hmm. in this time where people get married like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, um, yeah, I that's that's the part that's really not credible to me. No, no, it like she. It's it's also not credible because she's like God. I can't, you know, I can't wait to be alone with you and just chill out and be married. And then he's like, oh, by the way, um, here are my six brothers who are all incredibly gross. Yeah. Um, inside and out. And she, at the end of the day, she's like, I do love you, though. And it's like, this man lied to you. And then basically said, like, you gotta clean it and cook for us. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a good thing she thinks she loves him. Because otherwise, she's just the maid. Yeah. It, well, is it a good thing? Because I'm thinking, if she doesn't think she loves him, maybe she kills him. Oh. And that, to me, is a bender ending. So now we move from Seven Brides with Seven Brothers into Chicago. Exactly. <laughs> Adam Pontipi does have it coming. He does. Yeah. And i that's a musical that works. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I, f- I feel like her just taking these brothers out one at a time. <laughs> That's the movie I want to see. Nice. Seven Brides for Seven Funerals. Ooh, there we go. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, did you, did you have any, like, big questions from this? Um, I think... The biggest uh, sort of thing that, uh, besides what we've already talked about, one of the big things that stuck out to me was um, that Adam says that, at one point, Adam says Millie has a heap of book learning. But as far as we know, the only books Millie has ever read are the Bible and uh, Plutarch's Lives. Well, Sarah... Here's what I'll say. 
when your parents are siblings, two books <laughs> is a heap. <laughs> that just explains the whole movie. <laughs> it it really does, honestly. Like, it's the only way I could get through and think, like, this is at least halfway believable, is if, like, <laughs> their parents are siblings. And... Their parents were siblings. Like, oh we've got God, a it. couple generations of, like, brother-sisters. Um, oh, man. Because oh. that's the only explanation why people are like, yeah, kidnapping women seems a great, like, a great way to get a wife. Yeah. That also, actually, it explains the other really funny thing to me about this movie, which is the ABC names. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that, so uh, two things here. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that Millie is, like, perfectly happy to pick up where Mother Pontipe left off and give her daughter an H name from the Bible, including we- Hepzibah is on the table. Okay, I, we need to talk about that because I yelled, what the fuck? Because yeah. the, the three choices are Hannah, fine, a Acceptable. good name, Hagar, uh-uh, and Hepzibah, what the Vomit. fuck are you smoking? I mean, this baby has an Uncle Frankincense, which is my other point. So I guess Hepzibah would fit right in. I but guess. I just, the Hepzibah and the Frankincense, I cannot get over. I'm, Sarah, I'm concerned that you're fine getting over Hagar. <laughs> I mean, that's not great either. <laughs> I would say it's... Arguably the worst, because I ha- I so, you know, these names I don't think are in my book. Uh, so, maybe they are. I don't really know my book that well. Um, <laughs> I, most of them are in your book, actually. Whatever, I don't read it. Nah, um, <laughs> my only context for Hagar is Hagar the Horrible, which I think is a comic book character. Or oh. a news comic character. And oh, I think no. it's a guy with a big bushy beard. Let me let me pull up Hagar the Horrible, who I hope is real and is not something I dreamt up. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, no, he is real. I mean, he Hagar is... in the Bible, I think, is like Abraham's whore, basically, that Sarah says, here, have his baby. Oh, oh, yep. Hagar the Horrible. Yeah, it's just seen a Viking. This before. Yeah. Yeah, I have seen that before. But yeah, in the Bible, Hagar gets treated like shit. Like, Sarah's Mm -hmm. like, I can't have a baby. Why don't you have a baby with this slave woman here? And so Hagar has Abraham's baby. And then Sarah is like, you bitch, you had my husband's baby. Get out of here. That's who you want it. That's what you want to invoke for your daughter that you're going to name her that. Like, not everyone, not everyone's cut out for the whole cuck lifestyle you know it's true <laughs> you know maybe she, maybe she thought she could do it and then yeah. when push came to shove she was like actually turns out this is not for me yeah um but yeah a weird choice for sure um and then who the fuck is Hepzibah other than a vomit inducing name i don't know i i didn't look it up i have no idea who Hepzibah is but I mean, most for most women in the Old Testament, things don't go well. No, I'm look her up I, right now. Yeah, I just I mean, clearly Millie has pretty compromised judgment. Um, 
in that yeah. she listens to her husband say, every woman is interchangeable. Uh, and then she's just like, hmm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's she's the mother of a king in um in Second Kings chapter twenty one. So just a hmm. random random biblical lady. I mean surely there are other H names from the Bible that you could pick. I would think so. But I don't actually know any of them. <laughs> No. <laughs> I feel like Hannah Again. is the only acceptable choice, which Hannah's is why Adam fine. immediately takes it. <laughs> yeah, I again, it the only mark in his column is that he heard those three names and went, "Let's do Hannah." Yeah. The yeah. only real name in this list. Yeah. Um and let me make sure there's not like a carbon monoxide leak in this house. <laughs> The only other thing that I could think of is, uh, or, or that stuck out to me, is how long the avalanche scene goes on for. Yeah. It's like 45 seconds of just avalanche. And it's, you know, it's sort of like middling special effects, too. It makes <laughs> I think me that's wonder putting if. It, nicely. it makes me wonder if they were trying to show off, poor things. <laughs> I think they were And that's the worst part Is that they're oh. like Look how great this is Bless We pushed dust off a model Yeah <laughs> Yeah uh. The the choices of You know I, I do like I said I really like old movies But mm-hmm. the, the choices that were made Of like What scenes where not very much is happening We're going to linger on Mm-hmm those were not always good choices. No. In fact, they were frequently the wrong choice. Almost always. Yeah. Um, like the the scene with, I mean, true deliverance vibes when she first shows up. Yeah. And, and all the brothers are just like looking at her like they want to eat her. Yeah. That's weird. Or the scene when Adam goes upstairs for the first time and they're all weirdly excited to hear their brother fuck. Yeah. Like, really excited. Like, I can't wait to hear my brother bone down. It's super disturbing. It's so, again, inbred. That's the yeah. only explanation. Um, I Should we give this a rating? Yeah, let's do it. Do you have one? Okay. Or... I do, yeah. Okay. Uh. This is zero out of seven Habsburg brothers. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, I'm I'm giving this one out of four barn raising teams. Ooh, okay. That's that's a great metric. I love that. <laughs> um. So, uh. I next next time we're watching I literally just pulled it up and then forgot The Immortals. So I'm very interested in that. Yeah. Um but until then folks, uh you can find us on Facebook at Grease Lightning, that's G R E E C E D. Uh you can find us on Instagram at Grease Lightning Pod. 
You can find us on Blue Sky at Greased Lightning. Uh, I believe we're on uh, X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it for now, at least uh, at Greased Light Pod. And uh, you can also send us an email at greaselightningpod at gmail.com. Once again, this podcast is edited by Luke Patrick. Thank you, Luke. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next time with The Immortals.